0: And this series is about helping you to restore a prayer life with the Lord that really is what Jesus meant it to be. And that is a connection, a live relationship with the Lord. And in this particular segment in our series, we are um, dealing with the preparation for prayer. And in the Old Testament, in that exciting book of Leviticus... Um, there is a, uh, a list of seven preparations that God gave to Aaron, who was Moses' brother and was the first high priest in Israel. And these were, um, did I say seven? Ten. It's actually ten. We've just added three. There are ten, excuse me, preparations, ten things that we... Do to prepare to pray. Now these were given to Aaron as a set of rituals, but each one of these rituals has a has a wealth of meaning for us today. So let me um, let me read out of two places in Leviticus just to set this up. Um, God had just begun to deal with Israel about how to pray, how to approach Him, and um, He had them build an altar and offer a sacrifice, and all of those sacrifices were meant to foreshadow the sacrifice that would come from heaven. Not a sacrifice that man would provide to offer to God, but a sacrifice that God would send down from heaven on our behalf, and that's Jesus, the Lamb of God. So, a sacrifice was provided. They put the wood and everything in place, just as the Lord had ordered. And then the Lord said, I'll supply the fire, and the Bible says a fire fell from heaven and lit that sacrifice. And that fire was emblematic of God's acceptance of what was going to be offered on that that sacrifice. So Aaron had two sons, Nadab and a, a high a Bihu. <laughs> and um, Nadab and Abihu were watching this. They saw the, their dad prepare the altar according to Moses' instructions, and they saw the fire fall, and then they saw the, the offerings being made, and they said, oh, okay, we did it. We now know what prayer's all about. We just get some fire, and we uh, make some sacrifices, and we lift them up to the Lord. So they just, they just kind of put it together. And so they went out, piled up some wood, got some offerings, some lambs or something, and they got their big lighter out, and they just lit the, the fire. And when they did, the fire that fell from heaven shot out from the altar and burned them up and and killed them. So just, I don't want to discourage anybody from seeking the Lord. Um, these Old Testament happenings have... have uh, Great consequences for us today so far as their meaning goes. So let me read this verse to you out of uh, Leviticus 10. Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer. Censer was a a metal ball that had holes in it and everything that they would put coals of fire in. And they'd put incense in there and they'd offer that incense. And I'll share with you what all that symbolizes. So they each took their censer and they put fire in it. And uh, they put incense on it and offered strange and unholy fire before the Lord, big fire, that he had not commanded them. And there, they came, there came forth a fire from before the Lord, and it killed them, and they died before the Lord. Now, jump into chapter 16, verse 1. After the death of Aaron's two sons, when they drew near before the Lord and offered false fire and died... Then the Lord said to Moses, "Tell Aaron your brother, he must not come at just any old time, at all times, into the holy of holies within the veil, just for a moment." Those of you that may not be familiar with the tabernacle, there was an outer court, then there was a building. It was all tent made, and the build the front half of the building was called the holy place, where the priest ministered. But beyond the veil that divided that 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 uh, That building, if you will, was the most holy place, and the only thing in there was the Ark of the Covenant. And um, the high priest was to go in once a year to pray, not only for himself, but to intercede for all the people of Israel. So you get the idea. The Lord says, not just to come at any old time uh, through the veil into the Holy of Holies uh, before the mercy seat upon the Ark, lest he die, for I will appear in the cloud on the mercy seat, but Aaron shall come into the holy place in this way. And then the chapter goes on, and the whole chapter is this, this litany, uh, this prescription of ten different preparations to approaching God in prayer. Okay, so the message here is that there is a, there is a preparation to praying. And uh, I don't mean for this message to catch you flat-footed, but the fact is, is that many Christians, they have no idea that uh, prayer requires some forethought and some preparation if it's going to connect. And we're not talking about saying prayers. We're talking about fellowship and communion. So if our prayer is to actually produce communion with God, there is a, there's a prescription that we need to learn. Because connection with God... And think about it this way. When you pray and you connect with God, our connecting with God is based on our being accountable to Him for our lives. Not just running to Him because He's got everything, we got nothing, we need what He's got. uh, But we are accountable. So based on our accountability to Him, our prayer is formed. And so, therefore, God has laid out a way for us to approach Him, to enter His presence. And coming before His presence should not be based on our convenience, but it should be based on His honor, His worthiness, His worthship. So, both casualness and religiosity, both extremes, towards God, kill prayer. So I just want to say right off, being overly religious, meaningless religious practices with a disengaged heart, or over-casualness are killers of prayer. Now, since God's requirement for holiness, and we've already kind of touched on holiness in this series so far, but God's requirement for holiness has not ended these ten preparations, we need to look at them. We need to take them seriously. Only, we no longer perform these symbolic rituals as Aaron did, but we practice their actual fulfillment through our relationship with Jesus. So each of these symbolic rituals speaks about something that we do in our living relationship with the Lord. We're on number five today, and number five is worship. Worship. The fifth Preparation in approaching God and coming before God is worship and praise. And this was symbolized by the high priest Aaron taking a censer filled with the fire that fell from heaven upon that altar because they kept that fire going once the fire fell they kept adding the wood and the fuel to the fire so it didn't go out when that tabernacle would move they would take that fire with them it never went out they kept the original fire so you get that they kept it going so, the high priest would take a censer, filled with God's fire from the brazen altar, and he would take two handfuls of very finely ground sweet incense. And that represented worship, and we're going to get into it this morning. Let me read that little segment to you in Leviticus 16. And Aaron shall take a censer full of coals from the fire, but from the altar before the Lord, and two handfuls of sweet incense, beaten very small, And he shall bring it inside the veil and he shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord so that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony or the Ark of the Covenant so that he does not die when he comes in. So you get that picture. Um, Aaron enters the Holy of Holies. He has measured out two full fistfuls of finely ground incense. He takes them and he puts them on a plate so that in one hand he's got the two fistfuls of finely ground incense in the other hand he takes his censer filled with fire that came from heaven and the coals and fresh fire and incense and he goes in to the most holy place and he puts that plate uh, with the incense and uh, down, and he lays the burning coals out between him and the Ark of the Covenant. Then he sprinkles that plate of incense on those coals and immediately they flame up and the, the incense create a uh, veil, if you will, of smoke so that he is now communing with God through the veil of incense, through the veil of smoke. Can you say amen? Think about it. Let me tell you that Incense in the Bible is the symbol of worship. Incense refers to worship. It symbolizes and and the the representation, the symbolism can, uh, can transform. It symbolizes worship, but it also has come to symbolize intercessory prayer because truly the idea of real worship includes and involves prayer intercessory prayer. We're going to see that connection this morning. So he lays out that incense and that intercessory worship is rising before the Lord and he communicates to God through worship. And the Lord responds back to him through worship. Now let me say to you again, um, Aaron, as the high priest, is a model of Jesus. The reason God established a priesthood, an intercessory, separated out group called priests, was he wanted to foreshadow the fact that man needed someone to represent him before God. However, every priest that is taken from among men is inadequate to represent us, because priests are all sinful. There's nobody that isn't sinful. But Aaron foreshadows who? Jesus. He is a representation of Jesus, our high priest, the priest that came down as the Lamb of God from heaven. Hallelujah. And we read about it, and I'll share with you the verse. I just need you to make these connections, and then we'll bring these points out. Hebrews chapter 9, for example, says, but now Christ has become as the high priest of good things to come or excuse me, not become, Christ has come as the high priest of good things to come. He passed through the greater and more perfect tent or tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. And he entered once for all into the most holy place, not with the blood of goats and of calves, but with his own blood. And so he himself secured eternal redemption. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with hands, the representation of the true sanctuary, but he entered heaven itself, the true tabernacle, the real sanctuary, heaven itself, and he appears now in God's presence for us. That's what it says in Hebrews. So Hebrews tells us that... uh, Aaron and all the high priests that served after him were actually representatives of Jesus. So, really, Jesus is the one that went into the Holy of Holies and offered that intercession, that worship. Picture Jesus worshiping, but he came down and condescended from his eternal glory, became a man, and so Jesus worshiped the Father. And so he offers up worship. Now, these metaphors begin to mix. They begin to blend. Because that incense not only represents worship, our lifting up our voice and declaring the truth and worshiping from our spirit before the Lord, but it also represents intercession. And Jesus, our intercession, our intercessor, provides that perfect worship. So simultaneously, the incense and the fire also represents our worship. Because Jesus is our high priest. He's our example. And so, our worship must agree with the intercession that Jesus is offering for us. When we offer and lift up that incense, we are lifting up what Jesus has done for us. And we're worshiping God with the offering that Jesus made. Can you say amen? So, we're all pretty much familiar with John chapter 4. Verse 23 and 24, when Jesus tells the woman at the well, the hour is coming when the true worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. In other words, the hour of symbolism has passed. The reality has come, and I am that reality. And so, true worship is our worship overlaying Jesus' intercession. And that's what qualifies our worship as more than symbolism. It is actual connection, actual uh, fellowship and communion with the Lord. And, And the more I begin to think about this, the more I begin to realize that some of our worship has very little to do with what Jesus has done for us. It's about how we feel about things or how we think about things. And a lot, of our, a lot of our worship and a lot of our praise does not really squarely overlay what Jesus is doing right now on our behalf before the Father as he is interceding. He is always offering up what he did at Calvary how His blood is speaking better things than the blood of Abel that's crying out for vengeance. Jesus' blood is crying out for acceptance and forgiveness and for mercy before the eternal bench of God. That's why there's no condemnation to those who worship in Christ. Our worship needs to overlay His intercession. It needs to make that connection. That's why songs that fail and worship that fail, an expression that failed to connect with what Jesus has done and said, really falls short of communion. The Lord hears one word, His word. Can you say Amen? So let me talk for a minute about the this incense and the fire and what they symbolize. First of all, the the high priest was called to take two fistfuls of incense that have been ground into ground down so that it is so fine it's like powder and can't be ground anymore. Finely ground sweet incense. Jesus, symbolized through Aaron, takes two fistfuls of this, meaning that it's all he can carry. His hands are filled with the intercession for our needs. His hands are filled with our needs as He enters heaven. Jesus arose from Calvary with two handfuls of finely beaten intercession, carrying nothing else but our needs before Him. And that incense was not chunky in chunks of generalization. The Lord is not uh, interceding on your behalf with just broad strokes of intercession. Just broad, blunt, sort of, oh Lord, help them. Oh Father, you know, bless them. But the Bible says that incense was ground as fine as powder so that um, Jesus' intercession for us is finely beaten into minute specificity that the smallest detail of our life is being brought before the Father. When Jesus died, there was nothing of our life, no matter how small, that was not thought of and included in that offering. And that is that fine incense, two handfuls, everything that He lifted up to the Father, He worshiped the Father with the minute details of our life and His meeting those needs. Can you say amen? Now the fire of God. The fire of God speaks of God's acceptance. So that the fire that fell, the fire that consumed that incense, is God saying, I accept the suffering of this sacrifice. Jesus, the Lamb of God, I fully embrace it. This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. The Bible says our God is a consuming fire. And so Jesus offers his life in payment for our shortcomings, idiosyncrasies, faux pas, mistakes, sins. And the Father through fire takes and receives it. So while that fire may seem violent and it it may seem painful. It involved pain. It involved the pain that Jesus endured, and the suffering that he endured. It involved satisfying the divine claims of judgment against all of our sins. Jesus absorbed all of it, and the Father accepted it. And the Father loves the sacrifice that Jesus made. His fire says, I consume it. I accept it. And so when John said, Jesus is coming, And He will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and the acceptance. The more you embrace Jesus, the more you take His fire, the more you lean on what He has done for you and I, the more of the Father's acceptance embraces your life. That is the nature of true worship. Can you say amen? Amen. So what does this really mean? It means that our worship is accepted when we are praising God, when we worship God, both you individually in your prayer time and when we collectively come together as the body of Christ. If you catch a vision of this, you will be reluctant to come together with God's people and worship with anything less than all out, heart poured out enthusiasm. You will be ashamed to sit with a distracted mind and think of other things and and, uh, be silenced by your mood or attitude or whatever heaviness maybe have collected, whatever cloud is collected over your, your heads. And you'll realize, how can I exalt my condition, myself above the worthiness of the Lord to be praised? We cannot think that God is going to commune with us and answer our prayer when we don't connect with Him on the strength of what Jesus has offered up. You know, Christianity is an all-or-nothing proposition. It's not like these other, and I know that the religion of Christianity has definitely become one of incrementalism and measured responses. But true Christianity, the true gospel of Jesus Christ, has nothing to do with increments, has nothing to do with measured responses. It's all or nothing. The child of God is just flat out the child of God. Taking up your cross and running after Jesus. It's being hot for God and being cold to the world. That is what worship is all about. And you may come in someday and say, boy, I've had a cold week. Well, I have too. We all do. It's the occupational hazard of being a Christian living in the world that God understands it. He knows that that's why worship is where we come in and warm up. We get on fire. We stir our heart. But you can't come before God and stay cold and expect somebody else to do your worshiping for you. Expect somebody else to get in touch with God so that maybe the overflow of the anointing will uh, do something for you. Are you listening to me? Christians are so lazy they'd get a cat to breathe for them if they could. Do you understand what I'm saying? That, that's not worship. And I'll tell you what, a church, if you want to reach critical mass with God, you'll learn to come together in 100% We are here to proclaim and to magnify the Lord and relish and love the opportunity to take whatever's bothering you, whoever has miffed your mind, whoever has uh, upset you, or whatever need or bother has uh, weighed you down, you will love taking it and throwing it on the altar of God, stepping on it and lifting up Jesus, worshiping Him with a whole heart and saying, forget about my needs, forget about my idiosyncrasies, let me praise God. You will be willing to come before God and say, forget about my nature. Some of you say, I'm a smith. Smiths are not outgoing people. We smiths are a subdued lot it is not in our my mother was subdued my my dad was subdued none of us we don't talk a lot we're not public people we just you know we live pretty much within ourselves my heart's really sincere but you know i'm just not a vocal person you will understand that a christian is somebody takes their nature lays it on the altar of god hallelujah Why were you born again in the first place? What did you get saved for in the first place? Why do we come before God and say, Lord, change me? And then when He asks you to surrender me for change, we hold on to me as the reason why we can. I can't do that because I'm a smith. Well, you better make up your mind. I'm serious. I'm not, not just being evangelistic this morning, I'm serious. What's it going to be? Really? Right now, today, November 5th, 2017, Jesus could come next week. What's it going to be in your life? You're going to go on being a smith another week? Or are you going to be the child of God that Jesus died on the cross to make you? Your life could become exciting, but it's not going to happen if you don't start worshiping God. If you don't start learning what it means to sacrifice Give the sacrifice of praise and of worship to God. It's terrible today that we have got to massage worship out of people with a certain level of quality of songs or music. And everybody's got their taste. It isn't about your taste. It's about the worthiness of Jesus to be praised, to be worshipped. Look, You could come into a church and you could have a two-finger banjo plucker playing an out-of-tune banjo and some dude banging on a shoebox. Or better yet, come in and the lights have gone out and there is no instrument. You better be willing and ready to magnify the Lord because He is worthy. Are you listening? Really, are, are you really listening? So what are you and I going to do about it? The fire represents God accepting a sacrifice, not a thought, not a sentiment, a true giving and laying down of self. You and I could lay self down before God and we'd be laying sinful self before the Lord. But Jesus came and gave you a new nature so that when you do lay your worship out, you're presenting him. You're a new creation in Him. When I lay Nick down on the altar, God, the Father sees that I'm a new creation in Jesus. And I'm worshiping Jesus. And surrendering self. And worshiping Jesus. And the fire of God begins to envelop. Begins to transform. Begins to move in our heart. And God's no respecter of persons. He does it wherever he sees Jesus in the heart and in the worship of his people. Let me talk for a few minutes about the difference between, or excuse me, not the difference, but the cooperation between faith and praise. Now, how many Christians here this morning would say, I've got some faith. Doesn't have to be a lot of faith. Somebody say, I've got faith. Faith is living in me. Yes, the Bible says that God's given to each and every one of us who are born again the measure of faith. So you've got faith. So I want to talk about the connection between true faith and praise or worship. And the difference between worshiping and song singing. How many of you? I want you to look to the person next to you and say, we need to learn this. The difference between worship and song singing. We're either going to be a church or we're going to be an audience. What is it? What's it going to be? We're either going to be a worshiping body or we're going to be an audience. And that decision's not made by me. It's made by you. Hallelujah. So let me say this to you. Your beliefs, because I know you said you have faith. Faith are based in beliefs. You believe certain things. Now, your beliefs become faith and become an act of communion between you and the Father When you praise Him for Jesus' atonement and you do it directly and you do it out loud. Let me say it again. Your beliefs go from being beliefs and convictions that you hold to actual faith. And they become an act of communion when you express it to the Father, praising Him for Jesus' atonement out loud. Beliefs turn into faith. And you make a connection. Let me give you a practical example this morning. Let me ask the question, do you love the person sitting beside you? You don't have to answer, but you may have to look at them first. But do you love the person sitting beside you? Can you turn to them right now and tell them in no uncertain terms? Wow, I I wasn't expecting you to do it, but. (laughs) So I ask you, do you love the person next to you? You answer, yes. And then I ask you to turn to them now and say so. Do you notice the hesitation? Do you notice the tension when you go from responding to, yes, I love this person, to actually confronting them? And giving that love and expressing it. That's because you are moving from private feelings to the courage of confrontation. You are moving from believing to giving. When you say, oh, I do love that person, you're speaking out of your beliefs. I I love that person. I believe I love that person. But can you turn to them? There are times when uh, in the past 40 many years that my wife and I have been married... I would always say that I love her, but there have been times when it would have been really hard to turn to her and say, I love you. Would have been tough. Because you're you're going from what you believe to actually giving. So, So by the priest coming into God's presence, and God wants that offering as you come to connect you with him, So that he can bless you, so that he can pour out what he has for you. He comes, and the Lord said, Don't come empty handed. Fill those hands with incense and bring two handfuls. Don't come empty handed. Fill your hands with worship. Come with worship. Don't come saying, I'm a smith, and we don't get vocal, we don't get loud. We feel it, but we, we may not always say it. By giving your worship, you are connecting with Jesus. Let me say that again. When you give your worship, you are connecting with Jesus. Jesus, your Savior, you are connecting with salvation. Jesus, your Healer, you're connecting with healing. Jesus, Jehovah Jireh, you're your provision and provider. Your connect- Jesus, Jehovah said, Canoe, your righteousness. Jehovah Makedus, your sanctification. Jehovah Rohi, your shepherd. You are connecting with the one in whom is consolidated all the compound covenant names of God revealed in the Old Testament. In him, Colossians said, and when Paul wrote, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So when you come and give your worship to him, You are, in essence, moving with Him as He is in heaven, offering up that incense of what He sacrificed Himself on your behalf. You are agreeing and your hands in His hands. Your voice with His voice. Your words with His words. You are agreeing with Jesus, your Savior, who has done all these things. Don't come empty-handed. Worship Jesus. Hallelujah. Because when you do, you are positioning yourself to receive exactly what you're praising God for. When you worship Him as the Lord, your righteousness, you position yourself for the impartation of that righteousness. When you worship Him as Jehovah Jireh, your provider, you position yourself to have those provisions made. The quickest way that I know if you have a need in your life to come before God to get that need met is not to come before God begging and offering to do something so that he'll do it. The best way I know is to come fall before him and worship him with true gratitude, true understanding that he has met all of my needs. I worship you as the Lord my provider. The Bible says your Father in heaven, Jesus said it, already knows all that you need. When you worship him, now I'm not saying don't ask, but we should, we should come before God with worship before we bring out the petitions. By the time you've really worshipped God, you'll be ready to express that petition with faith before the Lord. And the Lord and you will have a connection through which He can release that provision. Can you say amen? Amen. So to come into God's presence when you pray and make a connection, begin by worshipping the atoning Lamb of God. Praise him for his work of atonement. That's what Jesus meant when they said, teach us to pray. He said, all right, begin like this. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Not just saying, hallowed be your name, but what is his name? What does his name mean? Worship what His name means. You begin to worship what the name of Jesus means in all of those different facets that I expressed a few moments ago, and you are worshiping the atonement. You are worshiping what Jesus has done for you. Now let me kind of bring this down to a, a practical level before we close. Let me ask this question: Why? Why must I worship out loud? All the smiths are wanting to know, why does this have to be out loud? It's really embarrassing for me, especially around other people. I feel silly, uh, especially, you know, in um, in church, there's always those three people that just can pray like they wrote a book, you know, it's just, they can praise God, they got all the phrases, and let me tell you just something from experience. As, as a pastor, I can't reveal any uh, personal details, but I can tell you that, Sometimes those people in church that got all the phraseology, they can pray for 10 minutes. I mean, they can worship that comes out and everything. Sometimes they could be the most messed up people in church. So trust me when I tell you, God does look upon the heart. But that does not mean that you and I are not obligated to be vocal with our worship. You just don't need to make it sound nice. It just needs to be real. Remember, worship in spirit, which means sincerity, from your heart. And truth. Don't go before God and say, eeny, meeny, miny, mo." He'll be coming around the mountain when he comes. Nonsense. The word, the truth, worship. And what truth? Jesus died for my redemption. Focus on that. Worship around what Jesus has done, and you won't go wrong. I assure you. Deviate from that, and you're going to get yourself in the weeds eventually. So, here's the question phrased probably a little more pertinent to where you and I live. The question of why must I worship out loud. Why isn't correct thinking or having a clean heart of affection enough to bring me into God's presence? If God knows my mind and knows my heart, why do I have to be vocal about it? If God knows I love Him, remember Jesus and Peter, after He had raised from the dead and Peter had denied Him? Three times Jesus badgers Him, goes after Him. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Now He had just denied Jesus. Peter, do you love me? The third time... Peter just about cusses. He goes, you know that I love you. Why do you keep asking me? Because he's trying to rehabilitate Peter's broken down heart. Peter has turned inward through the condemnation of his failure. He feels ashamed. He feels unworthy to express love. And Jesus knew the first thing I need to get this boy to do. I need to get him to be vocal Dancing around and shouting, I love Jesus, I love, and feel free about it. And not hung up on that sin of denying Jesus that he committed just a week before. The Lord is always trying to pull you out of that place where you've been shut down and silenced. You need to worship and you need to be vocal about it. And so the reason is, is that yes, God knows your heart. And God knows that your mind is correct, but, but God has created this thing called prayer, and it's not about correctness, it's about communion. Prayer is not measured based in correctness, it's based in communion. The presence of God isn't about correctness, it's about communion. God is relational, and he has designed you and I the same way. So having correct belief and affection is simply communing with yourself. If you had a prayer time, for example, you go in your prayer closet or sit in your uh, chair, whatever it is, and sit and just think thoughts. I don't care how scriptural they are. You can even quote the verses in your mind. You can truly love God. You're sitting down, feeling it, thinking it, focusing on it mentally. You are communing with no one but yourself. That may come as a shock to you. The Lord reads the heart, but that's not prayer. When you express it out of your mouth, when you speak it, even our Heavenly Father didn't create the world by thinking it. it. says He spoke it. The creative power is in the speaking of the word. Can you say praise the Lord? Expressing it in worship is communing with God. Thinking it is communing with yourself. It's the same reason that you need to express love and not just harbor private sentiments in your marriage if you want it to prosper. Try doing that with your spouse. I said I loved you back at the altar. If anything changes, I'll let you know. Do you understand what I'm saying? That won't fly. Listen... um, you admired that man or that woman from afar. You had affection for them. It was all within your own... You were the only one who knew about it. It's all up here in your own mind and in your heart. You didn't get married so you can have sentiments. You already have that. You got married so you could have fellowship. You got married so you could show the love. You got married so that you could engage in the love. Am I... Am I... Am I, Is this messed up or? All right, just wondering. So let me close with this. Having shared with you these symbols, I want you to come with me and take a look in a little portal in the book of Revelation at this process of the incense and the fire as it's going on right now, right now, in heaven. So that you know when you and I are worshiping that we're either connecting with this activity that's going on in heaven or we're not connecting with it. This, this is whether it's worship or just singing songs and banging on guitars. You listening to me? I love to bang on a guitar, but God help me. I need worship. Hallelujah. I don't need music. I can live without it. I need worship. I need connection with God. Listen to this. Revelation chapter 8, first five verses. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Pause. For those of you that think church should be a place of silent contemplation. There's nothing wrong with silent contemplation, but let me tell you. It's so obvious that heaven is a noisy place that when it got quiet for 30 minutes, they had to write something about it. So, There was silence for 30 minutes in heaven when the seventh seal was opened. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God and the seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with the golden censer. So all those physical examples down there were were replicas of the real thing in the presence of God. Another another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all of the saints. On the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose up before God from the hand of the angel. Then... The angel took the censer and filled it, plowed fire into it from the altar and threw it into the earth. And there were peals of thunder and rumblings and flashes of lightning and there was an earthquake. Wow! Now I don't know what that earthquake was. I don't know what the lightning and the thunder was. But what I do know... Is that when God took the intercession of people who worship, worship so that their prayer and their worship overlays Jesus' worship and that is offered up before God? He took it, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it into the earth. Things started to happen. Wouldn't you like to see some things start happening? Would you like to see some Holy Ghost changes beginning in your home, beginning in your life, your AO, your area of operation? God has given you a military jurisdiction over which you are accountable and responsible. Wouldn't you like to see something happen? Well, I know. The Bible says there's a way to make things happen. And that is become a worshiper in such a way that you are connecting with God. God. And that your worship is agreeing with the intercession that Jesus is lifting up in heaven. And the Bible says, without you even knowing it, all you're doing is you're worshiping Jesus. You don't care that there's some, some uh, tears rolling down your face in public. You don't care that you look foolish. You're on your knees or your face praising God. You've jumped off the drums and you're on the floor. What happened to David? Oh, he fell out, man. He's, just, he's off the drums. He's worshiping God. Hallelujah. David, get back. Oh, no, he's praying. Forget it. This is more important. You know, I'd like to see services where things get broken up because people are crying out to the Lord. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? So all you know is I've been worshiping God. Next thing you know, bam, there's lightning. Bang, there's thunder. There's something happening. And maybe that lightning and thundering isn't falling in the church service, but it's falling on your job. It's falling over in the house of somebody that you're praying for. Over a situation in your life, and your area of responsibility. Because when you intercede with the things in the focus of your praise and of your worship that have to do with what God has provided for you, God orders the angel to throw a provision To throw down an anointing. Something that's going to change things. We talk about praying. We talk about God needs to change things in our world. Well, I'll tell you there's a way to do it. If God's people will begin to truly walk in worship. If we will truly bless. If we will truly be a worshiping people. We will be a force to reckon with. As far as the enemy is concerned. You know what? You need to worship God so that you can become a threat. Once again. To the forces of darkness. We need these prison doors broken over Clearwater. We've got people in our community that are lost. And if they don't see the light between now and the time when their life comes to an end, they're going to go into a Christless eternity. We need to do something so that those prison doors can be broken. Those shackles can be broken. True change is going to take a worshiping church who are walking in the intercession and the worship of God. And that is the fifth preparation for having an effective prayer life, is being a worshiper when you come into the presence of the Lord. I'd like you to stand with me this morning. This morning...